wonderful thought-provoking song. I first heard that about 35 years ago in, in upstate New York from a, a missionary's wife. And I uh, just never forgot the message of that song. If your Bibles were open to Genesis 37, we are considering the theme, the heart of a champion. If you think about it, those people throughout history that we look to as heroes, as champions, they are almost never someone who has had it easy in life. It is always somebody who has overcome some type of a hardship or a struggle and they have gone on to live a, a life of productivity. They've made some kind of mark on history. Seldom do those that we call a champion or a hero come from a background where they just had everything easy and everything smooth along the way. In, a, in understanding the heart of the champion, for me, there is no better example of such an individual as Joseph from the book of Genesis. Again, I've told you before, my favorite character in all of the Bible is this remarkable individual. Last week, we looked at some statements that were made by three different Egyptian individuals. There was the man Potiphar, who was the, the master, the owner, if you will, of Joseph when he was sold into slavery. And the Bible says in Genesis 39, his master saw that the Lord was with him. By the end of that same chapter, Joseph had been thrown into prison. He was not guilty of a crime, but Potiphar's wife had accused him falsely of trying to attack her. He was thrown into prison, and once again, it was an Egyptian prison guard. The jailer looked at Joseph's life, and he could see that God was with him. Then in chapter 41, many years had gone by. Joseph is brought out of prison uh, and, and he's brought before Pharaoh. It's all done in haste. It's all done probably within a matter of hours. Uh, Joseph is 30 years of age. He's meeting Pharaoh for the first time. Pharaoh's never laid eyes on this young man before, but with, within just a matter of a few minutes of conversation with him, Pharaoh just stands and looks at all of the Egyptian court and all of the power and wealth of Egypt that were assembled there, and he says of this young man that he just met, can we find such a man as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? This, we, these were three unsafe people, Egyptian people, who looked at Joseph's life and they all could see that God was with him. We asked ourselves the question last week, what did they see? How many have been taking notes? Good. A whole lot of people have. How many have them with you? Good. Good. I'm not going to give you all the answers tonight, but I think we're going to discover one of them in the course of the message. Bring that back because we want to know what did they see in Joseph when we use that to ask ourselves the question, so what do people see in us? When they look at us, do they see that God is with us? When people look at us, our, our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors, and so forth, do they see that the Spirit of God is in us as they did with Joseph, they ought to. It ought to be evident. 
Tonight, we want to backtrack a little bit. We want to go to the beginning of Joseph's story and understand this young man that has gained the, the attention of the entire world for generations. We, we've mentioned many times, even on Broadway, they had Joseph's story highlighted uh, for, for many, many years. Uh, there's just something about his story that is so mesmerizing uh, to the entire world. We want to look at his life tonight, Genesis 37. The first thing I'd like you to notice is Joseph's heritage. Joseph's heritage. Verse 1, Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Jacob is Joseph's dad. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17, year old, 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Let's talk a little bit about Joseph's heritage. I was one of, my brother and sister and I, we were the first in our family to get saved. I was not raised in a Christian home. My brother and sister and I remarkably all got saved on the exact same day in the same church, but in different parts of the church. My younger sister Joyce and I got saved on a Thursday afternoon. My brother got saved on Thursday night. Um, and none of us knew that the other was making that decision for Christ. It was one of those things. But again, we were the first. We, we were, I'm a first generation Christian. I, I could not look at parents who, who knew the Lord, who took me to a church such as this, who taught me the Bible from an early age, and we were taught some conservative values. There's no doubt I grew up in rural uh, western Pennsylvania, and it was a conservative region, but we weren't taught the things of Christ. Joseph had an entirely different background. Joseph's great-grandfather was Abraham. He is called in the Bible the father of of the faithful. He is the man that God called and, and gave the, the first promise in, in many generations of the Messiah that in Abraham's seed, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And that was a promise that, that the Savior would come of, of Abraham's descendants. Abraham was the man to whom God gave the title deed to the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. Do not let the modern-day media fool you. Don't, don't let the countries of the world tell you that Israel doesn't belong there. God said, that's theirs. And it was given to Abraham as a, as a place, uh, an eternal, everlasting dwelling place, an inheritance from God forever. That was all to Abraham. Abraham was the man of, of such great faith. Hebrews 11 uh, describes the day he led his son Isaac up to the mountain of Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice to God. Abraham's faith was so strong that he actually believed that if he did sacrifice Isaac on that altar, God was going to raise him from the dead. He had such unshakable faith in the promise of God. And of course, God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son he just wanted him to be willing to give up everything, and Abraham most certainly was. That is Joseph's great-grandfather. Joseph's grandfather was Isaac. Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah. Now consider in Genesis 22 that remarkable account I just referred to, where God said, Abraham, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and go unto one of the mountains of Moriah, which I will show thee, and offer him there a burnt offering. 
When that happened, Abraham was about 113, 115 years of age. Isaac was about 15 years of age. So you got an elderly man almost twice as old as me, and you got his son Isaac. They lived a difficult life. They, they were outdoors people. They, were, they had great uh, herds and so forth. So you got to uh, understand in your mind, Isaac was undoubtedly a strong and healthy young man. When Abraham marched up to that mountain and he and his son were alone and they're going up and Isaac looked at his dad and said, Father, uh, here is the fire and here is the burnt offering and here is, or, I'm sorry, here is the wood. But where is the lamb for an offering? Isaac had no idea that God had told Abraham to offer him on the altar. He just asked his dad the question, where's the lamb? And Abraham in faith replied, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Uh, that was prophetic that one day God was going to give his only begotten son on the cross as an offering for our sin. They went all the way up there and they took the stones and Isaac undoubtedly helped his father build the altar. They laid the wood out in order and then the awful truth was revealed. Isaac, you are to be the sacrifice. I've been commanded by God to kill you offer you for a burnt offering on that. And I'm going to guess that Abraham, if I was the dad there, I would try to comfort my son saying, but don't, don't worry about anything. God's going to work a miracle. I believe God will raise you from the dead. Do you understand the faith that Isaac had to go along with that? He's a, he's a strong young man. His father is an elderly man. There's no doubt in my mind that Isaac could have outrun his dad. Uh, there's no, no doubt in my mind that Isaac could have overwhelmed his father and just stopped the whole thing from happening. But Isaac didn't do it. Isaac was as much a man of faith as a teenager as his father was as an elderly man because he allowed his father to bind him, place him on the altar, and Isaac laid there, if you will, a willing sacrifice. Had to be that way because he was a picture of Christ and Christ laid himself down for us, amen? You understand Joseph's great-grandfather uh, great was an incredible man of faith, but so was his grandfather. Isaac is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. We're, we're going back a few generations, but Joseph has a lot to draw on. Jace, uh, Joseph's father was Jacob. Jacob is also mentioned in Hebrews 11, the faith hall of fame. Now, Jacob had a different story than his dad and his grandfather. Uh, Jacob's name by translation means deceiver or trickster. And boy, did he live up to that name as a young man. Uh, Jacob wasn't exactly the most honest person in the entire world. But God revealed Jacob's spiritual journey. And by Genesis chapter 32, he was a, he was a different fellow when it came to his walk with God. He was left alone one night and wrestled with God all night long. And when it came to the breaking of the day, the Lord said to Jacob, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob just answered, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. He's holding on to God. He needed God for the challenge with his brother Esau the next day. And on that very night, God changed Jacob's name from the deceiver to a prince. And he called him Israel. 
And throughout the rest of your Old Testament, those names are used interchangeably for the same person. God said, I'm going to change your name to Israel for as a prince, thou hast had power with God and hast prevailed. This is Joseph's father. This is the home into which he's been born. He has a godly heritage. There are a lot of young people in this room. There are even some adults in this room. And you can relate to a certain extent to Joseph's story because you have a heritage somewhat like that. I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but a few months ago, I traveled to Massachusetts for the uh, funeral service of, of Brother Harry Reemers. And uh, I, I saw his, his, his sons and daughter there. I saw his grandchildren and I saw his great-grandchildren. Four generations of Reemers gathered in one room. I'm looking at the children. Of, we'll pick up Andrew and Joy and their, their three little girls um, and so forth. Do you realize the heritage that those little girls have? It can go all the way back. And I'm not sure that your dad was the first in the line, was he? Okay, your dad was the start of that. Do you realize that Andrew's little girls get to look back and say, we have a goodly heritage. We have mom and dad that love Jesus and, and grandparents that love Jesus and our great-grandparents love Jesus. Their great-grandmother sits down here in church every Sunday morning. Four generations. Four generations. That's Joseph's. Um, can I just say this, though? That being a fourth-generation Christian doesn't automatically guarantee that you're going to turn out right for God. Joseph's brothers were also fourth-generation Christians, if we want to use that term. Again, go back to verse 2. The Bible says at the end of the verse, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil reporters, referring to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. They were his half-brothers. They were raised in the same home. They had the same dad. They had the same grandfather. They had the same great-grandfather. They had the same legacy. But somehow none of that registered with those other brothers of Joseph. They're his older brothers. Just because you're raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you had the privilege of being raised in a church such as this doesn't mean that automatically uh, everything's going to be right. You have to choose for yourself whether you're going to get saved, whether you're going to love God, whether you're going to live for God or not. No one can choose that for you. Your parents can't do it. Your siblings can't do it. Your great-grandparents or your great-great-grandparents, uh, your, your great they can't do it. Trust me, as a dad, if I, got, if I could make my children love God and do right, if I could force it on them, I would. But I can't. I've got 10 grandchildren, number 11 on the way. The burden of my heart right now is that all of my grandchildren come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior. If I could make them do it, I would, but I cannot. A couple of them sit over here. Some have scattered around the building, some in the back here. I love them with all of my heart, but they have to choose for themselves. Just because you were born in a Christian home doesn't mean you're an automatic Christian. There has to be a decision. We see Joseph's heritage. It's a good one. It should have made a difference, but sadly for his brothers, it didn't. It didn't. I, I've, I've heard people make these jokes. Yeah, I was raised on drugs. When I was a kid, I, they dragged me to church. They, they, they dragged me here, and they used the word, I was drugged to church, and I was drugged to Sunday school. And I, um, and, and I find that almost repulsive. I didn't get that privilege. 
I didn't get saved till I was 15. And when I got saved, you couldn't keep me out of church. Nobody made me go. My parents weren't going to make me go. I just found out I wanted more of God than ever before. First generation Christians are somewhat like that. And I'm not putting down those of you that are second and third or fourth generation Christians. But, but, but please, follow after the example of Joseph and just say, I'm made out of chosen to be born in a Christian home and raised in a church, uh, but I'm privileged to. And this is a blessing that, that others don't have. And take advantage of what God's given you. I want you to not only see Joseph's heritage, but I want you to see Joseph's home. Joseph's home. We know Jacob is a man of faith. As a prince, he had power with God. He's listed in Hebrews chapter 11. The promises of Abraham passed on to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob, to Jacob to his son, particularly Judah. The land was given uh, to the, the inheritance, the, the, I'm sorry, the descendants of Jacob. You know, today we don't call it the country of Jacob. We call it the country of Israel. That's, that was given by promise to Jacob. But with all that said about Jacob's faith, as far as a husband and a dad, he was not very good at it. He was just not very good at it. Uh, Jacob had four wives all at the same time. All at the same time. It was legal in that time. There was no law against that and, and so forth. His first two wives were sisters. He was supposed to get married to Rachel. And uh, his, his uh, father-in-law cheated him on his wedding night. Instead of bringing Rachel to the bridal tent, he brought her older sister, Leah. The Bible says she was tender-eyed. We're not sure exactly what that means. It might mean that she had really terrible eyesight. And so her face was always squinched up like this, trying to, to see or whatever. We have no idea if there was a, you know, her eyes oozed. We don't know what it was. She evidently wasn't real attractive, but Rachel was beautiful um, she was younger. Jacob was head over heels in love with her. When he found out he got cheated and, and now he's married to Leah and he has to stick with that, he just contracted with her dad to marry Rachel as well. And uh, uh, over the course of time, Leah started having children and Rachel was barren. And the two, the two sisters were fighting with each other over it. And Leah was lording, I'm giving my husband sons and you can't do that. So Rachel said, aha, we're gonna, we'll see about that. And she had a maid that served her and said, you're going to marry my husband and you're going to have children to him. And since you're my maid, uh, technically I own you, your kids are my kids. And so Jacob's got his third wife. Leah saw that happen, did the same thing with her maid. And Jacob's got four wives all at the same time. If that's not bad enough, he showed favoritism. The Bible says this of the two sisters, Leah and Rachel, that God loved, or that Jacob loved Rachel and he hated Leah. That is a strong word. And from the get-go, there was no peace in Jacob's home. And part of that was his father-in-law's fault but part of it was his because of the obvious display of favoritism he showed towards Rachel. And that just seemed to carry on for years and years and years. And then their children are born. Uh, by the time of this story, there are, uh, Joseph is the youngest of 11 boys. He'll have one younger brother, Benjamin, that'll be born. But he has 10 older brothers. He's the youngest. He's got one sister. Her name is Dinah. They wrote a song about, about her, Dinah, won't you go? You know, um, some of you have no idea what I just did right there. 
but uh, th this was his family. Um, families are wonderful things. Children are in heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the, the womb is his reward. But Jacob was foolish about his children. Joseph was the firstborn son of that beloved wife, Rachel. He had all these other sons, and, and they should have made him proud. Uh, they, 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 were, they, they should have been a blessing because uh, it, one of them would carry on the line of the Messiah. But when Joseph was born, uh, he never thought Rachel would have a child. And now all of a sudden, the favored wife has a child, and Joseph became the favorite. We see the favoritism displayed in verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. Colors were expensive things to come by. Most, most clothing was made out of goat's hair or wool uh, or linen, which was browns and blacks and, and tans, that type of thing, red and yellow, green, purple. Those were very expensive fabrics to get. The dyes just cost a fortune. So when jo uh, Jacob bestowed this coat of many colors on Joseph, he spent a lot of money on that. The other boys didn't get it. It was a clear sign, Joseph is daddy's favorite. And that favoritism caused very big problems in his home. The Bible says in verse four, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. His older brothers, which should have been his role models, which should have been his heroes, they hated everything about him. And it was because their dad was so unwise. God had blessed Trina and I with three children, all of them as different from one another as could be, different talents, different abilities, different personalities, uh, and, and so forth. But in all honesty, I cannot say that I love any one of them more than I love the other. Trina and I did everything we could to let every one of them know that we loved them equally. Now, I know in every home, the, uh, the oldest children have a tendency to look at the younger ones and be a little bit jealous and say things like, man, if I did that when I was a kid, you'd have smacked me to seven days from tomorrow, that type of thing. Yeah, he or she gets away with everything. I was never allowed to do that. Uh, how many have heard those kind of things? How many have said those kind of things? Sure. Yeah, Seamus, is, he's, he's admitting freely that that's what's going on. And that is sort of a normal type thing, but the average parent, probably everybody in this room, we try to be careful that all of our kids know that we love them equally. It's not there. Jacob didn't have the wisdom to do that. So Joseph grew up in a home that had all of that anger, all of that hatred, a, a one wife that was favored above the other three, one child that is favored above the others. And even when, when Jacob saw that this animosity, this strife is going on amongst the children that Joseph's hated by his older brethren, he does nothing to change his behavior. He does nothing to fix that. It just goes on and on and on. And that is Joseph's home life. His brothers hated him because he was the favorite son. His brothers hated him because he stood for right when they were doing wrong. His brothers then hated him even more because God began to send dreams to Joseph. We read about those two dreams uh, with Brother Carson here. He tells his brethren about it in verse six here, I pray you this dream which I've dreamed. 
For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. A sheaf is, a, is they cut down the, the wheat uh, with the stalk and they tie it together in a bundle about this big around and then load that into wagons and take it off for threshing. He said, so we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. Behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to mine, meaning your sheaves bowed down to mine. Joseph wasn't making anything up. This was a dream that was sent to him, and we know it was sent to him by the Lord. When his brothers heard that, they just thought it was this smart aleck kid trying to lord it over them, you know, that, that whole type of thing. And uh, boy, did they hate him. His brethren said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Um, it's going from bad to worse. This is his home life. Listen, there are no perfect homes. And young people, if you're thinking that you're supposed to have one, there aren't any. Because every parent is a sinner who's been saved by the grace of God. You did not come with directions. If, they, if you did come with directions, I'll guarantee you they were written in Japanese. How many, how many parents know it's true? When you're holding that child for the first time, it dawns on you, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Anybody else feel that way? And I know we got the Bible and we, we pray every step of, the way, but even, step of the way, but even the best of parents makes mistakes and, and, and we drop the ball. There are no perfect homes, but Joseph's homes, in spite of his heritage, was an absolute disaster. An absolute disaster. It got worse, verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream, told it his brethren and said, behold, I dreamed the dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren and his father rebuked him. Now, Jacob had had dreams from God. He saw the ladder set up from heaven. God had appeared to Jacob on more than one occasion. If anybody should have understood that God was communicating with Joseph, it should have been his dad. His father rebuked him. Boy, the brothers must have loved that. Yeah, Joseph is getting his. They must have loved that. And the one person that had always been his refuge that Joseph knew he could go to has just kind of thrown him under the bus. And he, the Bible goes on and, and uh, he said, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him. Amazingly, but his father observed the saying. That means his father just sort of tucked it away. He did rebuke his son, but there was something on the inside said, I wonder if there's more to this than I understand. You already know the ending of Joseph's story. Both of those dreams came to pass. There came a day when those brothers bowed down before him, and then shortly thereafter, his father and his mother and all of his brethren bowed down before him when he was the, the second in command of the nation of Egypt. But the point of the matter is, in spite of a, an amazing heritage of faith, his home life was a disaster. His home life was a disaster, which brings me to the third thing about Joseph. Joseph's hurt. Joseph's hurt. We know that by the end of chapter 7, Joseph's brothers hated him so badly they sold him as a slave. They sold him as a slave. 
I have two sisters younger than I am. I have a brother two years older. And growing up and even in adulthood, we have not always gotten along. But even our worst day, I could not have done that to my brother and my sisters. You understand this isn't just they didn't let him join in all the reindeer games. You understand they literally got paid to sell him into slavery. He's hauled off to Egypt. They'll later testify the image and the memory of Joseph going off. Joseph was screaming and pleading and crying. Don't do this. Please don't do this. I won't tell dad. You can understand the bargaining and bartering Joseph was trying to do. And years later, after they thought that he was dead and they'd never see him again, they're still haunted by that night. It was so terrible. Well, if it was terrible for them and they're the ones that caused it, they pocketed the money from that. It was even more terrible for Joseph to be ripped away from everything in such a horrible manner. And now he's into slavery. He's serving in Potiphar's house in Egypt. We'll get into that in chapter 39. He, he, he finally sees the blessing of God and, 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 and he's doing okay. He's still a slave, but, but he's, he's in a good place in a lot of ways. And then Potiphar's wife lays eyes on him and Joseph is, is a young man and he's a handsome young man and, and she keeps in trying to entice him, lie with me, come lie with me and he refuses and she finally gets mad at him and has him thrown into prison. And here's this guy, never, he's not done anything wrong here either. He's in prison, there was no trial, there was no defense, nobody listened to him and he's just left to rot in jail. That's Joseph's life. Do you realize for the thir first 30 years of his life, that's his story? An abysmal home life, sold into slavery, cast into prison, left there rot 30 years. But I want you to understand of all the things that happened to Joseph, the hurts that lingered the most were the hurts that happened to him at home. Moms and dads, guard your child's heart. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41 happens a few years after Joseph is released from prison. Pharaoh gives him a wife, and uh, they begin having children. Verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn, his son, Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil. Read the last few verse, words with me in that verse, please. And all my father's house. Do you realize of everything that happened to him, it was the hurt that happened at the hand of his dad and his 10 older brothers that lingered the most in his heart. Joseph's hurt. I dare say there are very few of us in this room that have not lived through some kind of hurt. It may have been done intentionally. It may have just happened by accident. That hurt might have been a wrongdoing someone did to you or just something that God allowed to happen in your life. And hurt is a part of it. Jesus made the statement, he said, it is impossible, but that offenses should come. We're all going to get hurt by people. Sooner or later, it's going to happen to every single one of us. We're going get to get hurt by circumstances. 
We have dreams as we start out in life and we, we have dreams of how it, it's going to be. And, 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 and you know, we, we grew up with the fairy tales and they all lived happily ever after and all of that. But sometimes that's not how things exactly turn out. When those hurts come along, they change us. They affect us in a deep way. Joseph was no exception to that. In fact, I dare say that Joseph endured hurts that none of the rest of us can even imagine. And I always feel that I need to caution things here that this does not minimize whatever it is that you've gone through or that you're going through. It's not a contest of my hurt's bigger than your hurt or, or, or that it, it's nothing like that. Your hurt is real and it's painful and it's difficult and it's hard and so is the hurt of the person behind you or in front of you or the person speaking to you. We're all going to go through them. Joseph was no exception. Joseph's hurt. By the way, his hurt happened in a family where it shouldn't have. He's fourth generation believer by that time buddy, they ought to have godliness down and they ought to be having family devotions and serving God together. And, and it, it's, it's absolutely not there. And Joseph is the one getting hurt by all of these things. But here's what I want to show you for the final thing tonight. We've seen Joseph's heritage, Joseph's home, Joseph's hurt, Joseph's holiness. Go back in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Well, look at that second verse again. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. You understand at 17, we begin making the most important decisions of life. At 17 today, you're deciding basically if you're going to go to college or not. And if so, what are you going to study? What pursuit of occupation are you going to uh, uh, enter into in life? the age of 17, we start making those decisions about who we're going to date and who we're going to date determines someday who we're going to marry. We start deciding where am I going to live? And Joseph is at, is at that pivotal place in life. In that culture, J Joseph was old enough to get married. Joseph was old enough to start his own family. Joseph was considered a man. Today, we would consider him a teenager. I was graduating from high school at 17. Joseph was old enough in his culture to start his own family. Uh, that, that, that was just part of the world he lived in. But Joseph is 17, feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Can I just put this in here? Joseph wasn't being a tattletale. There are some people that they just live to try to get other people in trouble. That was not Joseph. Joseph was protecting the family's reputation and name. We don't know what it was that these, these sons did. The sons of uh, Bilhah and Zilpah, they were Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. They were four older brothers. Um, whatever they was doing, the Bible calls it evil. They might have been living immorally. They might have been when they were away, when they would take their flocks of sheep, sometimes they'd have to go great distances from home to find fresh pasture land. So they're out of the sight of dad and mom. They're out of sight of, of all the authority in their lives. And they might have been out there sowing their wild oats. They might have been getting into drunken brawls. The Bible doesn't say God just uses the word evil. And the word report talks about their behavior or their testimony. You understand Joseph is out there too. Joseph is 17. In their culture, he's, he's old enough to drink. 
He's old enough to carouse. He's old enough to live immoral. Uh, he's, he's old enough to do everything those four brothers could do. Mom and dad aren't there. There's nobody watching over and saying, no, Joseph, don't do that. Joseph's with a crowd that's doing wrong. And then it's amazing when you run with the wrong crowd, how easy it is to do wrong. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Joseph wasn't running with the wrong crowd because he was a bad kid. He was there in obedience to his dad's orders. Go out, work with your brothers out in the fields, take care of the sheep and so forth. And all of those that were older than him that should have been his examples and his role models were doing wrong. And yet this 17-year-old kid said, I don't care what the crowd is going to do. I'm doing right. I don't care if you do wrong. I don't care that mom and dad aren't here. I'm still going to do the right thing. Can I just interject this? If you have to have a parent standing over you to make you do right, something is missing in your heart. If you have to have your boss standing over you to make you do your job right, something is missing in your heart. We should grow to the place where we do right because it's right, not because somebody is there making us do it. That was Joseph. Joseph's holiness. And there's a word we need to embrace and get a hold of. My New Testament of the Bible says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. We need to get back to that. Instead of trying to walk as close to the world as we can, instead of trying to walk as close to sin as we can, we ought to just decide, I want to be holy before my God. I want to do right no matter what everybody else is doing. I want to do right no matter how much I've been hurt. See, Joseph could have used the, the mistreatment of his, uh, of his family uh, and, and all of that dysfunction to say, why should I do right? My dad doesn't. Joseph didn't play that card. Joseph could have said, why should I do right? My brothers don't. Nobody else is doing right, so why should I? Joseph didn't do that. Not even a little bit. Genesis chapter 39, and time is slipping by. We're going to deal with this next Sunday night. Joseph's in Potiphar's house. Do you understand? There's nobody around him that knows God. Not Jehovah God. There's nobody. He's in Egypt. They worship more gods and goddesses than you. We can even comprehend. Pharaoh himself was established as the son of Ra. And he was worshipped in many dynasties as God himself. His words were divine words. He's in a pagan, immoral, wicked, drug-infested culture. It's believed that the Egyptians invented beer. And that's something wonderful to be known for. Joseph is there. He has no idea that he's ever going to see his dad and mom again. He's a slave. He has no rights. You don't get weekend passes to go home and visit the family. He is owned by somebody else. He is there as far as he knows the rest of his life. And he, he was, by and large. Joseph could have done anything he wanted and dad would have never found out. Mom would have never known. But even in Potiphar's house, when Potiphar's wife came and said to him day after day after day, she was pressuring him, come lie with me. Joseph said, how can I sin against God and against my master? 
Here's a young man living in a culture where immorality was almost honored and celebrated. And he said, not me. I'm going to stay right with God. Can I tell you that when Potiphar looked at this young man that he purchased as a slave, he didn't know about Joseph's heritage. He had no idea about Joseph's home life. He didn't care. He's a slave. He didn't know about Joseph's hurt other than here's a kid that got ripped away and stolen and sold and he's a slave and that's a traumatic thing and, and Potiphar would have been aware of that. But what Potiphar saw, one of the things he saw from this kid in that awful circumstance, here is a 17-year-old that does right no matter who's around. Joseph was so committed to a life of holiness that his Egyptian master took his own hands off of everything. He put Joseph in charge of the household finances. Joseph was over all the other servants in the house. The Bible said Potiphar didn't look to anything. He just trusted Joseph so much. We live in a day and age of victimhood, don't we? And we're using our background and our heritage and all these other things as our excuse. Well, if you knew how I was raised, you would be mad at God too. And, 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 and I didn't have the privilege of going to a Christian school or growing up in a Christian home and, and so forth. So uh, it, it, it's no wonder. That's why I do what I do or so-and-so hurt me. And so, so I'm going to walk away from God and I'm going to live any way I want. Do you understand Joseph came from a worse background than anybody in this room, but he still did right to a level that none of us even come close to. We need to get away from this. Yeah, but I've been hurt. Yeah, but so-and-so did this. Yeah, but I went through this problem. And, and so therefore, I'm entitled to have a bad attitude. I'm entitled to have a bad mouth. I'm entitled to live a bad life. We have to get away from that. God's called us to a higher thing than that. The understanding that that very difficulty that you went through may be the very thing that God's gonna use in your life to use you? Everything Joseph has gone through now, the fingerprint of God is all over it. And you know the story by the time it's all, all said and done. Everybody stands back and saying, man, look at God, how God was in the details and understand this. There may have been hurts in your life, but if you will wait and trust on God, you'll find out God's fingerprint was even there. I've, I've told you before, I don't, I don't understand some of the things that have befallen me in, in the last several years. I, I don't like the fact that I'm missing a leg. I, I, I don't like any of that. If I had my druthers, this is not the path I choose. None at all. But you understand if, if, if that hadn't happened to me, there are people now that are saved actually already in heaven that wouldn't be if this hadn't happened. I'm thinking of a man named John in Maryland that I dealt with through the amputee coalition that I had the privilege of leading to Christ and he is now in heaven. Wouldn't have happened without this. Not even a little bit. I was talking with my friend and trainer, Sam. And Sam brought it up to me less than two weeks ago. And he said, you understand, I, I know this has been hard for you, but if it hadn't happened, you and I would have never met. God used Sam to change my life, and, 
and, and I'm praying that God's using me to help change Sam's life and bring him to Christ. Do you understand that, and Joseph knew it, at the end of his life in Genesis 50, 20, he said, but as for you, talking to his brothers that did all this to him, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive as it is this day. All of those hurts in his life did not become his excuse or reason to backslide or fall away from God. He, didn't, he wasn't looking for an excuse to do that. He lived for God anyhow. And that's what makes him such a hero. That's why God spent 23 chapters of the Bible telling us his story. That's what the heart of a champion looks like. Joseph's heritage. It, his home should have been better than it was because they had a godly heritage. Joseph's home life was less than stellar in a lot of ways. Joseph's hurt was deeper than we comprehend. But Joseph's holiness shows us a young man rising above all the heartache and the difficulty and the tragedy and leaves us an example saying, by the grace of God, that's what I ought to be. Can we bow our heads for prayer? How many tonight?